Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy, Allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous to your contracts, they said, What the f are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. This is the Court Today replay on C103. As we welcome you along to the programme and looking through the papers today, I think nearly all of the papers today, somewhere if not leading on their front page, is to do with what can only be described as a crisis in our healthcare systems and particularly at, at our acute hospitals. And actually it was while we were on air yesterday that the news broke of record numbers of admitted patients waiting on a hospital bed right across the country yesterday. And we had that number yesterday, a record number of 931 people who were deemed sick enough that they needed to be in hospital. They were to be admitted, but there wasn't a bed for them. And it was just an absolutely staggering figure. And then I hear this morning of a consultant in emergency medicine at at Beaumont Hospital in Dublin, a gentleman by the name of Dr. Padraig Gilligan. He is reckoning that 5,000 more beds are needed in the acute hospital system right across the country if we have any hope of coping with the surge in uh, demand and he was talking about his own hospital in Beaumont in Dublin where they had patients waiting to be admitted to hospital. They were sitting on chairs at the nurses station, they were lying on trolleys in the assessment unit and he said they're absolutely full to uh, capacity and he made I think an interesting point he said anywhere that's working above 100% capacity is simply not safe and he said that's what's happening in our acute hospital settings at the moment and he said it's not as safe as it should be and when he was talking about these 5,000 beds he was making the point that 950 additional beds have been put into the system but he said that was less than half the lowest estimate in the acquirement of the system because we were constantly here from our Minister for Health and the Department of Health oh we've added additional beds and 950 additional beds have been added but simply not enough and that's where he's come up with this figure that 5,000 additional beds need to be developed and he said there needs to be a plan on how that can be achieved how it can be achieved in a timely manner, manner and he said that has to be done to avoid the reality that's currently happening for patients and for staff at the moment and into the future and while all of that is going on we did have our health minister Stephen Donnelly I think he made a visit to a number of 
um, A&E departments in the Dublin area yesterday and he has come out last night having visited the A&E's spoken to patients spoken to consultants spoken to nurses and staff at the hospital and he has described what's happening with the overcrowding situation he's described it as a perfect storm because obviously we've got the seasonal flu we've got this uh, RSV and we also then have COVID added on to that but he wasn't coming forward bearing any really good news because he, when he was talking about the current situation he says that the situation is likely to get worse before it gets better. He says the system is likely to see more pressure um, and he went on and, and I'm assuming this is from talking with the consultants that the the flu wave that we have at the moment uh, he's reckoning that hasn't peaked yet so that means that more and more people will be presenting. Now he's going to update his cabinet colleagues on the situation in the hospitals uh, later on uh, this morning but I mean updating them is just telling them what I think they already know if they open any newspaper this morning or had listened to any radio programme yesterday they would have heard of that startling figure of the 931 admitted patients waiting on a hospital bed so it's a situation that seems to be only getting worse rather than better and some of our listeners are already commenting on this we had an email in from Anne to patricia at c103.ie trying to come up with a possible solution for what's going on at our own acute hospital, the CUH hospital. And um, in her email, Anne writes, Hi Patricia, is there any reason why the A&E building at CUH couldn't be built upwards with cubicle beds placed uh, in the new additional buildings? If you did that, there would be no need for trolleys. Surely it would also make the consultants and staff more efficient as they would have them all close by and be able to go from one hospital cubicle to the next. Is there any reason that everyone is queuing up an A&E? Is it simply down to lack of staff and worries about what hydration and personal care is given to those that are languishing on trolleys? She said, to be honest, the veterinary clinics nearby have first class treatment for animals, which is rightly so, but we can't say the same uh, for our own Irish people. The saga at CUH is going on for far too long and now nobody seems to care. Certainly nobody in the government seems to care. Happy New Year to you. Well, you know, people in the government will say that they do care and they'll say they're constantly throwing money at the situation and putting in those additional beds. But it just it never seems to be enough, I think, is the problem. And then Michael in Castletown Bear is going back to what I can only say is an old chestnut. And we often hear about when we talk about a situation of overcrowding in hospitals. He says, Patricia, hi, we're back again to the trolleys. Remember when COVID hit our shores overnight, the trolleys vanished and lo and behold, they're back again and they're back with a vengeance. I often think about the days when the good old nuns ran the hospital. Did you ever see a trolley? Did you ever pick up sepsis, SARS or any of the other hospital acquired infections? Definitely not. All those hospitals were run by a single nun, the matron. The floors were immaculate. You could have eaten your breakfast, dinner and supper off any of the floors without fear of picking up anything. Today, it would appear that the left hand doesn't seem to know what the right hand is doing. doing. Isn't this disaster now even worse than uh, COVID? What we now need is a nun to run our hospitals. Get rid of all the managers and the sub-managers. That seems to be costing the taxpayer a fortune. 
you can, you, it's, it appears in some of our hospitals you'll have to ask a manager now if you even want to use the toilet thanking you and that's from Michael in Castletown Bear and as I say that is an old chestnut because time and time again we would have people say remember the days when the matron ran the hospital we never had overcrowding we never had situations like what we're having at the moment so your thoughts uh, welcomed on the current situation in our health system and in particular in our acute hospitals. Now in a couple of minutes we will be getting advice from a GP as to how to avoid going to A&E departments because that's, I mean there, there even seemed to be something wrong with the HSE coming out yesterday and telling people to use all other avenues uh, before you would even contemplate going near an accident and emergency department. It always just seems so strange when we get announcements made like that by the health service executive but that's the situation that we are finding ourselves in 0818 103 103 John Paul uh, taking your calls and just update on a story that we did yesterday when we had Ralph Regal from the Irish Independent join us about that really tragic sad death of that Brazilian woman uh, Bruna Fonseca who um, had, uh, had met a very violent death here on our streets in Cork on New Year's Day. Well, the her family have uh, are, say they're absolutely overwhelmed after more than forty one thousand euro was donated in just a few hours to help fund the repatriation of Bruna's body to Brazil for burial. Now it's her cousin Marcella. Fonseca, who also lives here in uh, Cork, she praised the response. She set up this GoFundMe appeal. Now, it was only launched yesterday. And actually, I saw yesterday, shortly after it was launched, you could see the money was absolutely flowing in to this particular fund. And a lot, I was reading a lot of the people who have been donated, uh, who were donating yesterday, a lot of people were Cork people who were just so saddened that this has happened on the streets of our own uh, beautiful city and that she should die such a violent death after a coming here to improve her English and to improve her life and by all accounts I was reading a really good interview that's in today's Irish Examiner with Own English where he sat down with uh, Bruna's cousin and with her niece who actually she travelled to Cork with last September and uh, a friend and they were you were talking about what Bruna was like and she just seemed to be so full of life and so full of fun and so caring and always seemed to be looking out for other people and she loved her time in Cork she I mean she's only been with us since September but she absolutely loved living and working here and felt that she was really living her best life here amongst us in Cork and within it seemed a week of her arriving here she seemed to be one of those real get up and go young women she had found a place to live because initially when she came over she, she she stayed with her cousin but within a week she had found herself a place to live she had found herself a job she had found work for her young niece who had travelled with her she had uh, found a place for her niece to live you know and she was really getting her life uh, together and then for this tragedy to, to, to strike but obviously they're not a very well to do family in Brazil by its very nature isn't a very wealthy country so the family desperately want to bring Bruna's remains home to Brazil so her cousin decided to set up this GoFundMe appeal and as I say within hours money started to flow in they had initially hoped to raise 30,000 and you know early this morning it could even be gone higher but it was gone to 41,000 and the family just absolutely blown away and thanking everyone for their uh, generosity and just by the way if anybody anyone in the city or anybody's going to be around at the city at the week 
weekend. Her relations and her friends are encouraging people to attend a public prayer vigil in her memory at the city's lock amenity. It's going to happen next Sunday morning. Uh, her cousin was saying that the lock was one of Bruna's favourite places to visit and that she found peace and solace there during her many frequent walks around the lakes. And they're asking people if they'd like to come along next uh, Sunday morning and people are encouraged to gather at the lock at 10 o'clock on Sunday morning to remember Bruna to wear white, uh, to bring white roses and to bring candles and simply to pray for uh, her and indeed to pray for her family who are absolutely devastated in Brazil. So well done. Uh, You know, the good people of Cork once again stepping up and helping out uh, somebody and a family who who desperately need our help. And some of your thoughts coming in about what's happening uh, with our health system at the moment and in particular acute hospitals. Finbar says, Patricia, we are now seeing the problems reconfiguration caused within our hospitals. They closed perfectly viable A&Es. We think of two straight away in the county, one in Mallow and one in Bantry. The HSC, according to Finbar, should be abolished and he doesn't have any faith in Minister Stephen Donnelly. He should be sacked. It's no wonder, says Finbar that nurses and doctors are leaving their country in their droves. Minister Donnelly's legacy as Minister for Health, 800, 987 consultant posts to be filled, 1,100 fewer beds in our hospitals since 1981, record numbers waiting for operations, some waiting three and a half years on waiting lists. People are dying from lack of care. The list goes on and on. If you were in any other job and that was your record, guess what, said Fimber, you'd be getting your P45. Hi, Patricia, I totally agree with Michael's comment from Castletown Bear with regards to the nuns and the matrons running the hospitals. The government definitely needs to look at budgets, stop investing in managers. Remember, it is the elderly in particular that are uh, suffering. Uh, Margaret says, following on from what was mentioned at the end of the show yesterday with regard to private health insurance, and this was somebody saying that they had private health insurance and they couldn't understand why they couldn't go to a private hospital, why they were forced to go to a public hospital for treatment. Uh, Margaret said recently she was admitted to Cork University Hospital. She said it was absolutely chaotic there. Her husband came in to see her and as soon as she saw her husband, she said, that's it, I'm out of here. She did ask the staff about the fact that she had private health insurance and why she couldn't be sent straight to a private hospital. Surely that would take pressure off the Cork University Hospital. She was told by whoever she was speaking to, the Cork University Hospital is a public hospital and whether she has private health insurance or not, she'll be treated the same as any public patient all of the ambulances are directed to CUH and Margaret ended up leaving. She said she felt it was too dangerous if she remains. So now I don't know the end of Margaret's story if she was to be admitted and what happened and why you were going to be uh, admitted and I hope you're doing okay uh, Margaret but you're not the first person who, have I, who I've heard has turned up at CUH and, uh, and at other accident emergency department and have just left. Jerry and Brewery says the problem with so many of our acute hospitals is the fact that they closed and E departments in our smaller our country hospitals he cites the example in Limerick they reduced services in nearby hospitals and across the border in Tipperary and in Clare now all the ambulances have to go directly to University Hospital at Limerick 
um, everyone going into one location and now and it's only now that they are calling it an emergency situation everybody predicted that this would happen if you funnel everyone into the one area and just a final comment in from Morris who says I keep hearing people everyone is blaming everybody else but is it not time that we as human beings take some responsibility for ourselves Morris says when we wore masks how many people got respiratory diseases it was far lower over the last three years when we were all wearing masks. People need to take responsibility. Plus, we also have to bear in mind there's been an increase of one million people in our population. If only 10% go to hospital, that will have a huge impact on our health service. I think our country has done the best it can, but we as the public need to do something and stop being carried by our government at every level. We need to have personal responsibility. As we reported yesterday and mentioned again this morning, the HSC is urging people seeking medical care to consider all options before attending a hospital emergency department in the wake of what it says will be one of the busiest ever periods experienced by our health service. To offer advice from a GP point of view, I'm joined by Blackpool doctor uh, John Sheehan. Good morning to you John. Morning Patricia. And a happy new year uh, to you. you. Now a new record set for the number of people waiting on a hospital bed uh, yesterday. I mean an absolutely uh, staggering figure of 931 waiting to be admitted. Can you just explain to us what exactly is going on? It really is and it's a very sort of um, sad figure to, to, to have to discuss and I suppose it's a perfect storm of a couple of things Patricia. Um, we have a flu uh, every year, which which peaks in sort of the first couple of weeks in January. This year, it seems to be much more virulent than other years, and the numbers seem to have increased significantly. They've nearly doubled in the last week. On the background of that, then, we have COVID, which every three months or so um, tends to peak a bit, and it certainly has is peaking around now. And then we have a third virus, respiratory syncytial virus, which mainly affects younger children, but also affects older adults. So we have those three things all hitting at the same time, unfortunately. That then combined with the fact that for the last two or three winters, we haven't really been mixing, and this winter we have. And as, as one of your callers said, Morris said, you know, when we were all wearing the masks, we didn't see any sort of flu or respiratory symptoms. Um, but now, of course, we're seeing a lot more of that. And then that's putting a huge um, increase on the, um, um, on the health services. The population of Ireland, too, um, Patricia, is, has, is doubling in my, in my lifetime, which is a great thing. But that's putting more pressure on the, uh, on the health service. And now, and I, I've, I've sometimes struggle to get my head around this, is we, we have the highest life expectancy in Europe, which is great. Uh, absolutely great but obviously as we you know as we're living longer we get more complications um, and that you know requires more hospitalizations and more healthcare f- services and the, all of those things combined are putting a, a strain on our A&Es and the A&Es are the gateway to the hospital services you, you wish they weren't but that's the, the only way of accessing most hospital services acutely um, at the moment. So everything ends up going through A&E and we've seen Limerick and Cork and CUH and all the other places really, really struggling to cope with the volume. And I'm assuming as as a GP, John, are you very slow to send somebody to A&E at the moment? 
we're, we're very slow to send someone. And uh, one of my colleagues, Dermot Quinlan, did, you know, was on. I was on South Dock, and South Dock is extremely busy. And on average, for the pH patients we see in South Dock, approximately about eight, eight to nine percent get referred, and that's out of hours. And in our own practice, and in every practice, we're very, very slow to refer people. But the the other thing is patients are really, really reluctant to go. They don't want to go. To, no one wants to go to A&E. I mean, they've, they've seen the pictures. They've heard all the news. And I had to send a, a lady yesterday to, um, to the Mercy. And, you know, it, it took about five to ten minutes of, of, of talking and cajoling and explaining, you know, and, and she went. But I could totally understand why you wouldn't want to go. And, and, and that's the fear, Patricia, that people will stay at home, particularly older people, when they may need to, um, you know, to go to hospital. And as, as a GP service, are you under a lot of pressure at the moment? We're busy. About 70 to 80 percent of what we see is respiratory and, and, and sort of complaints. Now, for most people, you know, if you're if you're young and you're healthy, um, you, you'll manage it fine. There's some very good resources from your local chemist under the weather.ie. The HSE website gives very good advice. The difficulty is, of course, is smaller children who get quite sick, particularly with respiratory RSV, respiratory syncytiovirus, and then the elderly, if you have underlying conditions, heart and lung conditions, so they get a bad infection on top of that, and then they're under pressure, and, and they're the group really who are particularly vulnerable. And at what point do you decide that the emergency room is the correct option? It, it's a combination of things. So, for instance, an example would be where we had someone who... Um, you know, they were treated. Most of these are viral infections, but she had a, an infection we had to treat with, you know, she had an underlying lung thing. She's had a few courses of antibiotics and, and steroids and things. She just really wasn't getting better. She was struggling a bit at home, you know, and we'd reached the end of the road of what we could provide in the community. And, you know, she, she reached a stage where she had to be admitted to hospital and she needed more, you know, more support. So it's th- those sort of things. But patients are very reluctant. No one wants to go to A&E. Mm. Um, you know, you, you see the stories and people are very uh, um, reluctant. Yeah, to yeah, absolutely. And I saw over Christmas that the, the HSE and the IMO uh, calling on GPs to work extra hours to help the health service uh, cope. Uh, is that an option for many GP practices? It's an option, but most practices, I mean, as you know, are, are, are flat out and are full. So, so, so the capacity to take on more patients or more work is, is quite limited. What we've done in our surgery and what a lot of practices, I think, are doing is they're extending their hours. So they're seeing people a bit later in their surgeries. They're seeing a lot of the respiratory sort of um, um, complaints to try to take the pressure off uh, the out of hours in South Dock and to try to, uh, you know, reduce hospital admission. So what we've done in our in our surgery is, you know, we, we're, we're running sort of later surgeries in the evening just to deal with those sort of um, complaints. And a lot of practices um, um, are doing that. But, you know, a lot of practices are at full stretch. And if you're a smaller practice, you you just may not have the capacity to do that. Yeah, that's, that, that is the huge if, issue. And in rural areas, there might be a doctor in a single practice working in his his own or her own and you can't expect that person to work every hour the god sends no and i, I was on south dock uh, the other night on new year's night uh, patricia was six of us six doctors on in in the city here and one of the doctors had, had got sick so another doctor you know slotted in for you know and um, um, for them but in rural areas you're, you're particularly more 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 vulnerable and in fairness to the ICGP, the Irish College of General Practitioners, they've come up with a new scheme now for, for, for rural practices um, where 
you know, they're, they're trying to recruit doctors who may want to come to Ireland and they're trying to pair them up with rural practices for right. two years to try to give some support, you know, for that. And I know in North Cork there's a number of practices, uh, you know, that are hoping to be involved in that because um, uh, nearly a third of GPs are over 60 now. It's, it's, it's getting a bit like priests, uh, Patricia, where, you know, the, the age profile is very much getting up there. So, so we need to, one, increase the number of GPs that we're training increase certainly the practice, number of practice nurses that we have, but also there's going to be a significant gap over the next five to ten years, um, and that's going to pose a, a big challenge for us all. Well, particularly, as you say, the population is increasing, and at the other end of the scale, people are living longer, so people are going to need those GPs. Yesterday, John, when we were discussing the figures from the INMO and the, and the number of people waiting, some listeners were wondering, could private hospitals be used similar to what was done at the start of COVID? They certainly could, and, and I know the HSE are, 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 are making arrangements with some of the hospitals to take some of the, um, you know, some, some patients off it. It works, it doesn't seem to work as well as we thought, and our, the experience during COVID, I think, sort of said, bore that out, because an awful lot of the patients who come in are acutely unwell, and they may not be suitable then to transfer to the private hospital. So the private hospitals can be very good at taking some of the other pressures off the acute hospitals, but for the acute unwell patients, um, I think we need, you know, we need Mallow General Hospital, we need CUH, we need the Mercy, we need Limerick, you know, we need them to be working as well as they can. Okay. And uh, just a number of people are, are asking your views on mask uh, wearing and to try to stop the spread of so many of the viruses that we've been talking about. Uh, do, you know, do we need to go back to the basics that we we learned and did so well at the start of COVID, you know, the cough etiquette, the mask wearing, the hand washing and for people to isolate if they are feeling unwell? Absolutely. And and it really did work well. You know, during that COVID period, we, we didn't see one case of the flu. So it really does make a difference. I wouldn't particularly be in favour of making it mandatory because I think that was quite quite hard on people. But I think I think certainly, as you said, the, the you know the etiquette of it and just getting used to it in our heads again. Um, you know, I, I I've seen people you know who go, go to funerals now where there's a large number mixing. You know, where people more and more people are wearing masks, and it's it's probably a good idea. You know, that we just get into those habits again, it really does make a big difference in terms of transmission and in terms of the spread. So um, I really would encourage people to use it. In all healthcare settings, we use it uh, routinely. So I think the more and more people that use it, the, um, the better. Okay, listen, as always, pleasure to talk to you, John. Thank you for that. And uh, thanks for joining us this morning. Good morning. That is uh, Dr. John Sheehan, who has a practice in uh, Blackpool and, of course, also a former Lord Mayor. There's a lot of commentary coming in on what is happening with our acute hospitals and our health service at the moment. And I will get back to all of those comments. But I just want to move to a different issue because, according to local councillors, the town of Mitchellstown has become a no-go area for new housing and industrial developments with the finger of blame pointed firmly at Irish Water. Leading the charge is local Fianna Fáil councillor Frank O'Flynn who joins me this morning. Good morning to you Frank. Good morning uh, Patricia and happy new year to you Patricia and your listeners. Many happy returns. Now this is all down to an overburdened wastewater treatment plant. Have you any indications of when an upgrade of the facility will go ahead by Irish Water? Patricia, this is going on for far, far too long. And what we're doing at the moment is, I suppose we're doing a temporary, they're putting in a temporary uh, solution. There was a, one of the filters, there's four filters in the unit at the moment, and that broke down. They've repaired that, and they're commissioning it at the moment. And we are told they should have it up and running in a couple of months. But that's only a temporary solution. The long-term solution here, Patricia, is uh, to put in a new 
and to, they, they, they've done reports, they've done their audits, and there's a need for a new plant to meet the present and future needs. And as you said there on the outside said the meeting, which town the moment is no go area. It's on hold. It's stopped. There's no development whatsoever. We have numerous planning permissions in Mitchellstown. In actual fact, we have to kind of go ahead because uh, the facility of Irish water, the sewage system is not there. We are, and planning and these are planning permission for houses, is it? All for houses. Yeah. And we had another housing one recently, and we had a nursing home. And the answer at the bottom of the, of, of the decision was, because of the lack of the sewage infrastructure in Mitchellstown, the answer is no. There's no one who actually, uh, you could say, applying for planning in Mitchellstown because uh, in both housing and industry. And a nursing home would be such a plus oh, for the area because they're so badly needed. I had a good chat there with my good friend Dr. John and, and, and the, the doctor, and we all know it. There's, there's scarcely a house in, 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 in Cork at the moment, but there's someone ill or someone sick, and uh, we know the need for nursing homes. There's no day going to get three or four calls. People, people cannot just get into nursing homes. There's one, and, and for my actually, closed. it's a big issue in Cork. We had a planning for a state of the art one, a hundred bedroom in Mitchell. hundred beds? That's yeah. a big, that's a large. Large facility. Yeah. Well, to cover all Knockhock and parts of Limerick, Tipperary and Waterford, it's a vast area. Shut down Irish water. Housing there, there is Negan. Shut down Irish water. This and the real, the, real, yeah, the real worry about the housing side of it, uh, Frank, I mean, if young families are not able to move into the area, there is a knock-on effect. You will have less children available to go to the schools. Well, There's less workers. Like, the general economy suffers if you can't get new people into the area. Well, Patricia, you know, if you need families, you need planning. And you need planning, you, and you need a site, and you need houses to be built. And for that, you need proper water infrastructure and proper sewage. And we have schools at the moment. I, I, I was in one of the few areas in Narka where the numbers are actually dropping. But at that national level, right up now to secondary level. That's good. We've also, uh, one of the biggest employers was in Cork County, Narcock, state-of-the-art, very, very good jobs, is in, um, is in the Dairy Gold plant. And everyone coming to Dairy Gold now, they have, to, they have either to move to Cork or move to Parson Mallow or Mitchellstown, where houses are very, very scarce. There's no houses whatsoever now for sale in Mitchellstown. And people, and, that, and no doubt, when people come to work in the area and they see no housing, it's actually, and also when they see uh, no infrastructure there, that it's going to stop them from coming in. And Mitchellstown at the moment, as I said, is a no-go area. The town is on hold. And it's an absolute disgrace what's happening. And the schools are suffering, the clubs are suffering, the organisations are suffering, and no doubt the businesses are suffering. Well, yeah, and, and it's, it's shocking to hear of people who, who have got a job in Mitchellstown and are commuting. So, they, so they're literally just turning up in Mitchellstown to go to work and then they have to leave. I mean, that's just that's of no benefit well, to the local economy. I know, I, know, I, know, I know people who are working in Mitchellstown, uh, both men and, and, and ladies, and they're coming as far away as they're coming from beyond Bantry, they're coming from McCroom, they're coming from San Mill, they're coming from Tipperary. There's one or two families actually uh, walking there from Dublin. They try and get um, uh, some place to stay for one or two days and they go back to Dublin then. It's an absolute disgrace because a town that hasn't grown in this, where you have young families coming in, going to school, getting involved in the clubs and the organisations. And, uh, well, OK, we have good success at the moment with Belly Giblin, but where are the young people come in? And I want to wish Belly Giblin every success in the county final. And the you're, you're, you're the second person to wish Belly Giblin. And good luck. We we had the head of Repack yesterday, Seamus Clancy, who was a Paddy Gibbon man uh, as well. Out and out, Benny Gibbon. Yes, he is, he is. Okay, go back to what excuses are Irish water? Oh, is, yeah. it, is, it, is, it, is it all down to funding? 
it's all down to funding and they're saying now they're, 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 they put in this new fourth um, filter they started in August uh, they're commissioning at the moment they cannot tell us what that what that will do it's probably a temporary measure but long term I said we need a long term solution and I hammered the table at the county council meeting the other day so I got the agreement from all my fellow councillors and from the manager and he fully supported me that we that was not easy he said Frank we'll seek a deputation with the minister and the minister's that O'Brien we have to see the colour of his eyes it's high time now that the funding was provided for a new plant to meet the present and future needs of Midtown in relation to housing and in relation to businesses. The talk is all over. It's gone on too far long. People in Midtown cannot wait any longer. So I'm going to see this through and I'm going to make sure we seek that meeting. Now, we look forward to what's happening. This is going to be a temporary solution to repair of the fourth filter. I know and you know that the long-term solution is a new and it's just it, and it's a timeline it's okay you know let the people know yeah let the people know as I said the meeting is over now is the time for action and to put the new plant in place they have the design they have everything they know the cost of it all we're waiting now for is the green light for the funding okay and just one final point while I have you on we've uh, we've been reporting and hearing from people in the Glamworth area they've been having issues with water uh, you've got news for them I have great news uh, Santa came early for perhaps okay. with Glamworth last year we we got it from Dunmahan all the way into Lambert Village a new replacement pipe uh, Patricia and listeners that is for starting over at Moor Park coming on to Belly Hinden Cross on the Bellinghown Cross and over to Bonbon and the Lambert Road this is a, a, a plant a, a line that was put in in 1966 there's no there's about 50 or 60 breaks there throughout the number of years I fought this tooth and nail and delighted that coming up to Christmas we got the funding it's a 4 kilometre replacement pipe and they'll be starting inside in early January Brilliant. great news for the Brilliant. Brilliant news. And, and for the family community. Okay, we'll leave it there, Frank. Thank you for that. And thanks for joining and us. Happy New Year to you. And once again, and many happy returns to you. That is Fianna Fáil Councillor Frank O'Flynn. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Dan was on to say, Hi Patricia, totally agree with one of your listeners in the last hour who says we all need to take personal responsibility and look after our own health, particularly when it comes to the likes of wearing masks at the moment with the amount of respiratory infections that are out and about. And we need to do that, as your listener said, rather than blaming others. I'm in my 50s, says Dan, and I still wear a mask. The numbers wearing masks at mass is absolutely tiny, as well as that no consideration of COVID are the other viruses Dan that are out there at most funerals and removals and often at a lot of funerals removals there can be a lot of elderly people Uh, Dan feels we need to go back to wearing masks even if only for these two months the months of January and February with so many viruses out and about and again it's an individual choice I did notice over Christmas I, I certainly there seemed to be an increase in the number of people wearing masks because when the mask mandate went you know everybody took the masks off and that was it and everybody thought COVID was behind us but I certainly in the month of December when you're in supermarkets for example I've certainly started to see more and more people uh, wearing them it certainly is an individual choice but um, Dan I'm assuming from the tone of your text you're saying it should almost become compulsory we should go back to mandatory mask wearing I'd be interested in listeners thoughts on that please 
And then doctors and lack of uh, doctors. Martin in Mitchestown says that he remembers 50 years ago when there was eight doctors in Mitchestown. I don't know how many doctors there are today. And he said there was another doctor based in Marshallstown just looking after that area. The population at that time was a quarter of the population of what it is now. They have never catered for the population growth. And with less doctors, we now have a crisis. And actually, when Dr. John Sheehan, when I was asking him how GPs were getting on over Christmas and how busy were they and you know particularly over Christmas when the HSC and the IMO came out and asked doctors to work extra hours that led to a chat with uh, John about a, prob- a, a problem we're already having in some areas in there there are not enough GPs but a problem that we're going to have going forward with doctors getting older and there's not enough younger doctors coming into general practice and he actually mentioned Dr. Dermot Quinlan who is a Cork based uh, GP but he's also medical director of the Irish College of general practitioners and I read a piece from him earlier this morning when he was talking about just how busy GP practices were uh, over Christmas but he was talking about how the role of the general practitioner needs to be further expanded but he said there's a problem at the moment in that there is a substantial deficit in the number of GPs and he pointed out that while the number of hospital consultants have doubled in the last 15 years the GP headcount has remained relatively uh, static and with GPs getting older, they're coming up to retirement age. We could have a bigger, bigger problem than we, either, than, than we even have at uh, the uh, moment. Thanks for your comment, uh, Martin, in uh, Mitchellstown. And also some WhatsApps in on this. Uh, Hi, Patricia. Happy New Year to everyone. Many happy returns. This is Mary in North Cork. I think closing our local accident and emergency department was our first real problem with the overcrowding and certainly our population has grown so much particularly with the number of foreign nationals that have come into this country is it about time that the government should say enough is enough we need to look after our own that's from Mary in North Cork well actually just on the population growth the latest figures this is the well it's this is the yearly the year in review that the central statistics office always do at the start of uh, the year and of course they always look at the population at the head uh, count and they uh, the head count for Ireland's population went to 5.1 million and that was obviously following the census that we did uh, last year and that is the largest increase since the dark days of the famine now included in the 5.1 million would be 62 and a thousand Ukrainians who had been welcomed into Ireland that was up to uh, last November but our population was growing even without the inclusion of the Ukrainians that are with us at the moment 5.1 million so the population is growing but we certainly have not seen a growth in the number of GPs to look after people. Hi Patricia this is from Liz in Ballyclaw to say totally agree with Michael from Castletown Bear that the our hospitals are simply overstretched possibly people going into A and E could it be that a number of them are immigrants I'm not racist says Liz here uh, but we need to take care of our own first I lived in the US for 25 years all of the emergency rooms were always full with immigrants people saying oh my child has a cough or my child has cut his finger they were the ones filling up the emergency departments also I'm horrified that I am an Irish citizen and I can't get a GP I've been put on a waiting list for five months now I do have my own private health insurance but I can't access and get a GP. And just on another point I had to go to a clinic in North Cork to pick up a form uh, to sign up 
to try to get on a list for a GP practice. Oh my God, the smell when I went into the clinic, uh, it reminded me of going into hospital in Ireland. In the US, you will never get that type of smell. It was awful. Michael is so right. Back in the days when the nuns and the matron ran the place, whenever it smells like that. That's from Liz in uh, Ballyclaw and I hope you get uh, sorted out with the GP soon. Uh, Liz but you know you're not on your own there are so many other people if you move to a new area um, there was a time when you moved to a new area if you had a young family it was making sure that your children had access to a school but we're now at the stage if you move to a new area it's trying to get access to a GP practice because most GP practices are full and Michael says Patricia listening to you this morning anyone can't but say we are a medically sick country Uh, We seem to have so many ill patients that now cannot access a hospital bed. In my youth, people rarely got sick, apart from, say, the odd cough or cold. Rarely did you hear of people ending up in hospital. Perhaps maybe somebody ended up in hospital because of an appendicitis. Was it all down, I wonder, says Michael, to the food that they and we ate at the time? They drank, they milked their own cows and drank that milk. That milk went on to also feed the animals, even the dog and the cat in the yard. It would put a shine on them. Today, it's nearly impossible to get fresh milk from a cow. More so, the majority wouldn't even know how to milk a cow. Back then, they baked their own bread, etc. They grew their own vegetables. I could go on and on. We rarely heard of anyone being diabetic in the vicinity. You never heard of anyone being overweight. People with pneumonia were as rare as a hen's teeth. Are we all being fed pure poison today? Uh, wonders Michael. Our lifestyles though have changed so much but it, it is a good point. People didn't seem to get as sick or maybe they were sick and just didn't go to hospital. I, I don't know but you certainly make some valid points uh, Michael. Thank you for that. Uh, tech, uh, WhatsApping 0862 103 103 and then Tim in Leem Lara was on to us and he says while the hospital crisis that you're discussing this morning absolutely accept it is a worthy uh, discussion but something else that I think is getting out of control and I would welcome listeners views on it and this is to do with driver behaviour on our roads. Tim said I was on the motorway from Carrick Toohill to Middleton just last week. There was motorbikes that were passing out every car but the annoying thing was they were remaining in the overtaking lane and they never pulled in once they had overtaken the car. Then you had trucks passing me out. I was driving at a steady 100 kilometres per hour. So for them to overtake me, they had to be going faster than 100 kilometres per hour. It would take for one incident to happen. And a truck like that could take out a whole village. I just feel everybody is rushing, rushing, rushing on our roads. And with the amount of accidents over Christmas and New Year's period, I do feel that this needs to be highlighted. And if other people notice that there's an increase in speed on our roads, where we had a we did increase, didn't we, in the number of road fatalities last year and we had been doing so well on road deaths. There had been a decrease year on year and suddenly now we're gone back again in the opposite direction and we're seeing an increase. And of course, we always talk about the number of road deaths on our roads and they're absolutely horrific. Uh, but we never get a head count and we never get to hear or talk about people whose lives are absolutely ruined because of a road uh, traffic accident and people who end up in places like the National Rehabilitation Unit in Dunleary and people whose lives are never, ever the same again. People left uh, paralysed, people left with horrific head uh, injuries and how much of that is down to speed. So if others, when you're out and about driving, 
over the Christmas period. Did you notice like Tim Inlin Lara speed on our roads? Your thoughts welcomed. 0818 103 103. John Paul's taking the calls. You can text her WhatsApp 0862 103 103. C103 Jobs. Now, a part-time school secretary is required. It's for working Castletown Roach National School, 12 to 15 hours per week. Today is the closing day, please, to get your applications in. You email CV and references, and the email address is principal at ctrns.ie. General labourers are wanted for work in the North Cork area. Now, full and part-time positions are available. You need to be over 25, you need to have a full clean driver's license. You also need to fluent English. Also, a part-time office administrator position is available. For further information, call 087-7566524 and please call after 5pm. Part-time cleaner is required for a school in Glanmire. CVs and references, please, to info at skulltriest.ie. And the Woodbrook Family Practice in Newmarket. They're looking for a part-time medical receptionist. It's to cover maternity leave and the job starts this month. CVs and a cover letter to medicalsecretary987 at gmail.com. You'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group for motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie. According to a poll commissioned by Independent Doll Deputy Dennis Nocton, patients can wait up to 42 weeks to be seen in a specialist clinic for long COVID in the Dublin region. But even here in Cork, the wait times for a long COVID clinic can be anything up to 20 weeks. Deputy Dennis Nocton joins me to discuss the implications of these uh, delays. Good morning to Dennis. Good morning Patricia. And you're welcome to the programme. Firstly, have we any accurate figures yet on how many people are suffering from long COVID in this country? No, we don't have any accurate figures whatsoever. Um, The HSE has committed to carrying out a survey sometime in 2023 to actually see the incidence uh, of long COVID in this country. However, what I've done is the uh, National Health Service has been carrying out uh, such a survey in the UK and I took the questions that are used in the UK uh, and I asked Ireland Thinks uh, to survey people in this country and what it has shown is that about 6% of the adult population in this country are now experiencing symptoms associated with long COVID, uh, chronic fatigue, uh, memory problems, shortness of breath, uh, severe muscle ache uh, for at least uh, three months uh, after they uh, made a recovery from uh, COVID. So clearly it's a significant problem across the country. There seems to be a variation uh, in different parts of the country with the highest incidence rate being in uh, Leinster and the Dublin region. Uh, But it is a very significant problem and will have a big impact on our health service unless we recognise it and address it. And and for many of these people, they were fit and healthy prior to getting COVID, got COVID, and then these symptoms for whatever reason, and we don't know why long COVID affects some people and not others. 
Yes, so look, we're talking about over 200 different conditions associated with long COVID. Long COVID is just an umbrella that's put uh, over all of these conditions. And what we're talking about here are are people who were infected with the the COVID virus, uh, who either made a full recovery and subsequently relapsed or never made uh, a recovery after their initial infection. And that at least two months after their initial infection, um, they have a chronic condition in terms of very severe fatigue, uh, uh, memory problems, um, and and other types of conditions that are lasting for at least uh, 12 weeks, where there is no other justifiable reason for that. That, sadly, is the definition that's being used for long COVID at the moment. But as you can see, it's very complex. It means that people have to go through a battery of tests even to be designated as long COVID a patient and then have to go on the waiting list to get access uh, to uh, treatment in these long COVID clinics. 42 weeks in St. Vincent's Hospital in Dublin, uh, in Cork University Hospital at the moment, it's 20 uh, weeks. And these are clinics that are not properly staffed, not properly resourced and not treating people to the extent that they could be. Yeah, and and we've all, and I think most people listening will all know or have heard of somebody suffering from long COVID. Um, It can be quite debilitating to the point of people not being able to return to work. Yes, and based on an analysis of the uh, figures in relation to social welfare payments that were paid out to people people who were diagnosed with COVID and and had to call in sick from work, uh, about... 4,000 people have not made a a full recovery after their initial infection and are still on a a social welfare payment six, eight months. uh, Some of them two years after the initial infection. That's That's a lot of people. Is there a defined treatment pathway at the moment for people living with long COVID? No, there isn't. Uh, And a lot of this treatment at the moment is very experimental. Uh, the uh, emerging medical advice is that what you need is multidisciplinary teams of cardiologists, respiratory consultants, uh, neuro- neurologists, along with physiotherapists and occupational therapists, so that you can deal with all the different aspects uh, of uh, this condition. As I say, there are up to 200 different illnesses associated with it. Um, and we have only established one single multidisciplinary team uh, with the full staffing complement. That's at St. James's Hospital in Dublin. It hasn't happened in Cork. It hasn't happened in Limerick or any of the Dublin hospitals other than St. James's as of yet. And until we get those staff recruited, until we get them operating efficiently and dealing with the challenges that are being presented to them by patients, then a lot of patients are going to fall through the system and continue to suffer. And, you know, long COVID is not unique to us here in Ireland. Do we know how other countries deal with patients affected by long COVID? Well, what they're doing in other countries at the moment now is establishing these multidisciplinary teams of of a range of specialists so that long COVID patients aren't being referred on to the local respiratory consultant, the local cardiologist, that they're actually going in, they're having one set uh, of assessments with the multidisciplinary team, that there is a programme of medication uh, put in place for those patients. And 
We do know from patients that have particularly gone to the Matter Hospital Clinic in Dublin, which closed before clinic before Christmas, uh, that patients have been making significant uh, progress uh, and patients have made uh, a full recovery. But it does take time. It does require a very coordinated uh, intervention from the medical professionals. Uh, and that's what we need to see happen because at the moment we're talking about 6% of the adult population. Adding that on top of the already chaotic situations that we have in our accident and emergency departments uh, on the near million people that are waiting for various diagnostic tests uh, and medical treatments at the moment, our health system cannot afford to have these additional demands placed on it and we do need to have a very targeted and focused uh, treatment regime put in place for these patients. Yeah, and of course, let's let's call a spade a spade. COVID hasn't gone away and there's a lot of COVID out in the community at the moment and there was a lot of it circulating over Christmas. So would you be fearful that more people could end up being diagnosed with long COVID? Absolutely. The emerging evidence uh, is that um, people are contracting or long COVID uh, after the most recent infection with COVID. If they've every time you're infected with COVID, your risk of ending up with long COVID is equal. It doesn't diminish over time. Uh, so any new infection wave that takes place in our population does risk adding to the number of patients. Uh, with long COVID, which I believe is going to put uh, an immense burden on our health service, one that we clearly can't afford with the the chaotic situation that we're seeing in our emergency departments across the country presently. That's why we need these clinics uh, up and running and efficiently run and getting through as many patients as possible. Absolutely. And the HSE committed last September 12 months to establish these clinics. They were to be operational in 2022. As I say, just one clinic uh, has been fully operational in St. James's Hospital. None of the other uh, clinics have been established. In Cork, it's basically what has happened is that they have gathered together a number of existing clinicians rather than putting a dedicated uh, long COVID team in place because they haven't been able to recruit uh, the staff Uh, as of yet, and I don't believe it's been given the priority it deserves within our health service. And just by the way, am I right in saying that it's still not recognised as an occupational hazard for frontline workers? No, and in Ireland it hasn't been recognised as an occupational illness for for full-time workers or frontline workers. It has in many other European countries even in the United States now it's being recognised as a specific condition. But here in Ireland, it's not. So we're talking about, you know, healthcare staff. Uh, we're talking about retail staff that were involved during the lockdown, long before there was a COVID vaccine uh, available. People who contracted uh, COVID uh, and who, to this day, two years later, are still suffering the effects uh, of long COVID. And they are not being recognised in terms of our uh, social welfare system, Um even though in all likelihood they did pick up this infection within their employment. Uh, and it is adding to uh, the financial burden that many people with long COVID are facing, the fact that this has not yet been recognised. OK. All right, uh, Dennis, we leave it there. Listen, thank you for that and thanks for joining us on the programme.
Thank you. Yeah, good morning to you. That is Independent Adult Deputy Dennis uh, Nocton on the wait times for people trying to get into specialist clinics for long COVID. Actually, just on COVID, the Chief Medical Officer has uh, come out today and is urging parents to keep children out of school if they have any. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. The flu-like symptoms. I mean, children are going back to uh, school. Now, a lot of schools are uh, reopening from tomorrow. There was a time where children didn't go back to school until after... Uh, until after the 6th but of course that day is now gone and that a number of schools are reopening this uh, week and there was a there's a lot of children have been sick over Christmas and would have picked up flu-like symptoms and various viruses so the message from the Chief Medical Officer is to keep your children at home which will cause problems for some uh, parents, particularly if the parents are working uh, parents. That's just come out from the chief medical officer. And then on hand sanitising and people being responsible when it comes to COVID and to do with all the other viruses that are out there at the moment. Somebody mentioned uh, funerals and removals and uh, people are back shaking hands and people are not wearing masks and is that not are, are a lot of viruses not being spread at events like that. Eddie said there's no point in mourners wearing gloves at funerals as shaking hands, the gloves the germs are just passing from from the gloves to the other person's hand. He reckons what needs to be done is somebody needs to be standing offering hand sanitizer at the door as people go in and out of the undertakers. I was at a removal and actually there was a hand sanitizing station. Now there wasn't somebody standing there telling you to do it, but most people seem to be using the hand sanitizer. But again, it's going to go back to individual responsibility, isn't it? And Colm in Blackrock on hand sanitizer said even way before COVID was ever mentioned in this country or indeed worldwide. Cullum's workplace always had hand sanitizer in the winter months and everybody used it in order to prevent the spread of flus and other coughs and colds that will be going around at this time of year. Cullum reckons every location to have hand sanitizers available, particularly during the winter months. 0818 103 103. John Paul taking your calls. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. 
They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie Clean Coasts and Ballinamona and the Sea and Land Trust have set up a new fundraising campaign to help clean up our coastlines and beaches with all proceeds going to cover the cost of equipment and insurance. To talk about the GoFundMe campaign, I'm joined by Pranchias Othuma of Clean Coasts and Ballinamona. Uh, good morning to you, Pranchias. Good morning, Patricia. Happy New Year. And many happy returns. Great to have you on the programme. Now, firstly, insurance costs. I hadn't thought of that before. Where does insurance costs come in with the work that you do in cleaning our beaches? Um, I, we, thanks a million for, for having having me on to, to highlight, I suppose, why we have our, our begging bowl again. Um, insurance, look, it, it's something that... Um, Many community groups have. We're very lucky that we are under the National Clean Coast Insurance um, for volunteers to actually go litter picking. But I suppose because we kind of go beyond, above and beyond um, what normal groups do, we, we have a range of equipment there. So we have our gator, um, we have a tractor, and we have the Hilux for transporting around the equipment. So, I mean, they all need to be insured, uh, road taxed, and, um, you know, I suppose it's, it, those three items there collectively will come to about two, two and a half. Yeah. But we also have a new boat coming, which will really be a multiplier of, of what we can do. Uh, the new boat is in, in a partnership, a sponsorship with um, the Inishalga Marine Park uh, with DP Energy and Iberdrola Re- Renewables. So um, we, while we have the money for the boat, and the boat is ordered, <laughs> it's, it's going to cost 2100 to to um, to ensure that. Why do we want a boat, or why do we need a boat, or yeah, why? Please you know, why, explain. Why, why, why? It's it's basically going to you know. There's a lot of information that we don't have about our coast. There's a lot of, um, I suppose, around litter. As as we are expanding, we can see the bigger problems. Um, the boat will allow us, I suppose, um, access the inaccessible beaches on our coastline that we can't get to presently. It allows us to do litter surveys. It allows us to do. Um, biodiversity surveys, in particular seabird surveys. So let's say um, with um, you know 63% of Ireland's birds are either red or amber listed um, and and are declining. Um, it allows to do seabird surveys. So let's say on the back of Capel Island, Ballycotton Island on the cliffs, when you're doing surveys like that you need to do it from a boat looking up at the cliffs mm-hmm. as opposed to looking at the top of the cliff down. So look, it, it, it's going to allow us to get in around Cork Harbour. You know, we can I was I was only reading this morning that the amount of those tiny plastic particles on the seafloor has tripled since the year uh, 2000. And the scientists say that, you know, despite all the awareness campaigns of the need to reduce yeah. all of our single use plastics, unfortunately, we're still seeing a huge amount of it. And that some of the plastics are there from the 1960s when we wouldn't have been using, the, you know, that generation wouldn't have been using as much plastics as we use today. Absolutely. But it's, it's that kind of throwaway um, um, mentality or, or bad habit 
that many, many, you know, many of us have, um, you know, and I say that uh, because the evidence is there because we're, we're picking up the plastic. So there is a throwaway culture there. Um, what, what, you know, you know, we've, we've made more plastic this century than we have in the entire last century. Um, we, we, you know, plastic is, a, is, 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 we're not saying vanish, we're, it's just saying it's a real important commodity. It's a real important um, uh, substance that needs to be used, you know, not recklessly, you know. I, again, you know, I think the last time I was on with you, I mentioned, you know, do we buy the orange loose? Do we buy it in the net? in a netted plastic or, yeah. or do we buy the peeled orange in a plastic container, you know, for that convenience. Ideally, we should just be buying the orange loose, you know, and, and avoiding the, the I would I will call it pointless plastic. Um, but look, the, these are the, these are the, 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 the joys of it. Um, you know, and I, point she is, I, I, since your group started, I think it was 2015, was it? Yeah. yeah. Have you, are you seeing any improvements, a, any sign of a decrease in marine litter? Um, <laughs> I have to say no. Well, I have to say no. You know, we we okay. It's 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 there's 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 many sides. There's many answers to that question. Yes, we we have seen improvements, right? So we removed, let's say, twelve tons from Palmon Beach, which which is only one point two kilometers long when we started in that first twelve months in twenty fifteen. Um, if you went and did a beach clean on on Balmain, now you might you, you get a few bags maybe, right? And that stuff that's that's washing up, you're you're not going to get. So, is there an improvement there? Yes, but because tides and currents, I mean, you know, it 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 it's it, you know, if we're not picking it up here, we're going to be picking it up in Kerry or Clare or or Wexford, Waterford. So, it, it, there's going to be we have to we have to kind of go a long time. Before we see the real improvements, there are um, when you when you're reading the statistics like that of you know that it's the, the quantity of microplastics and triples and it's even nano, you know when it comes to choice of clothing, you know polyester, you know of trying to avoid those and go for more natural fibres, um, you know we're, we're going to have to wait a long time and it, it certainly won't be our generation. Um, that will that will see it being repaired. It's, it's going to be the, the future generations. Unfortunately, it, it, it's going to be left to. But in the meantime, um, this is what we can do, and this is what we have to do. This is just one uh, spoke in the wheel. Uh, you know, there's education that we're 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 deeply involved in, uh, and it's environmental education. It's really important. It's so important to try and get you know. You know, to to reach out to the kids because we know pester behaviour. You know, pester power. Yeah, and, and, and a lot. I mean, you know, what you're talking about really is it's it's well, it might seem very small in the scheme of things, but it's you know it's it's lighting the candle rather than cursing the darkness. But as you say, a lot of your work is in educating our young people, and they will be the future. They will be the next generation. Do you take comfort knowing that the young people are so engaged in what you do? Um, you do because you know we are creating new um, uh, thought leaders. We are, 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 I suppose, through our engagement with our young people. You know, it's 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 getting them engaged in the subject. Um, you know, we know, I suppose, the the, the 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 evidence out there would say that primary kids are great for for putting away litter. There's a fall off in the teenage years, and then it kind of improved again. You know, you know, one like some of the things that we did. You know, I suppose Cork County Council there um, 
supported um, an, an initiative where we brought on 10 primary schools. It was 500 kids over two days to um, the coast where we, I suppose, ultimately it was, uh, we, we cleaned about 11 or 12 beaches, um, but ultimately they were engaged in, you know, when you, you know, litter itself, the sources of it, where it comes from. One of the very simple questions is to your listeners even is, where does the beach start? And, you know, you, you mm. get a wide, you know, you have people in offices and are looking at where does the beach start? It starts right there at your office or right outside your window of your home because litter can blow around and if it ends up in their streams, they lead into the rivers, which ultimately lead out to the sea, which lead it washing back up the beach. So so where does the beach start? Is It, it starts inland. I mean, you know, 80% of, of marine litter starts on land, you know, Um so it, it's 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 a it's a real it's it's not linear it's it's a constant engagement um you, you we you know we reached uh, I think since since 2015 we have been engaged with over 2,000 students which is fantastic you know, you look, it's, and, it's, it's and I mean even even when you look at the you know the beach cleanups that that you do you rely solely on volunteers don't you from and, and people are yeah. great to get out and support you absolutely look. Last year, volunteer hours, we contributed almost 3,000 hours, um, which had a value of about €75,000. Uh, all told, um, <clears throat> what, what was that? That was probably the running cost of, of maybe five, ten thousand 10000 and being able to contribute back 75000 just in beach cleaning. That's excluding any of the engagements that we did around biodiversity or any of the work that we did in biodiversity in managing 34 acres for, for, for nature. And that's what this GoFundMe, you know, will, will help us to continue doing and expanding on what we've been providing, I suppose, the, the, the services that we've been providing already, because ultimately it is a service, it is a service that we're, we're providing. Yeah, because somebody else is, is pointing out, and it was a point I was going to bring up as well, that uh, groups like, like, like your, your own group, uh, Pontius, you saved the council money at the end of the day? Um, we we do. I mean, look, you know, if we looked at that 3,000 hours, you divide that by 40, um, you're probably going to be getting, what, you're going to be getting, I'm doing quick maths here, how many how many weeks is that going to be? And that's working from, let's say, nine to six, one hour break. That, that's one person doing that. So it's, it's going to be maybe a year and a half person engaged for a year and a half full time. Yeah. Um, that, that's when you start breaking down the metrics and, and, and looking at it like that. Um, you know, we, we love what we do, right? I'm not saying we, we get joy out of going to where, where someone has, has thrown, a, a, you know, been throwing, you know, a, a bag of Christmas, you know, litter. Uh, or, from, or litter from the, the Christmas party because we're, we're, I'm actually observing that I don't know are you observing that on the road at the moment that you've kind of seen a few black bags of stuff been you know thrown out over the out of the car the, the dark yeah. night yeah. look it's it, I know. I know. It's so, it's so because I mean, only yesterday I'd repack on, and and I, I'm constantly making the point that it is with curbside collection, and most of us, I mean, I have four wheelie bins in in our house, yeah. all collected outside my front door, uh, every second week or whatever it is. So it's never been easier for us to to recycle yeah. and to dispose of things properly. And then you know you hear and see uh, you know people dumping rubbish. It just it's I, I, I can't understand the mentality. Social, there's a social economic thing to this as well, and there's a, a a piece that you know, you know, if you wade through that bag of litter, you'll find you know beverage cans, probably of an alcoholic nature, you know, mixed in. 
that's all recyclable. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, for for anybody who would engage in that, just saying to you, wade through your litter as in, you know, separate it out. Your glass is recyclable. Your aluminium cans are recyclable. They're really, you know, it's needed. It's, it's like, it's, it's one of the things like the aluminium can is more valuable than, than what it can, contains because it's, it's, a, it's a finite substance. Um, you know, wade through and, and go to recycling centres where most of them, I'm going to say, you know, particularly if you go to the bottle banks and stuff like that, at, at a local supermarket are free. When you go to the, the city council or the county council, there might be a two euro, three euro entry charge to, to kind of, you know, sort out your recycling. But, you know, just spending a small bit of time um, uh, doing that will, will, I suppose, lower your risk of being caught and uh, dumping and and risking a fine in okay. that regard, which would be which would be much more expensive. Yeah. But look, and you, and you don't want you certainly don't want it ended up on the beaches that you're going to in, in the future. Oh. Then have to have to do a beach clean and get rid of it. Okay, tell us, give us the details of your GoFundMe um, page, Francesca. So if if anybody goes to our social media pages, so the Twitter it's at Ballynamona. If you just search Clean Coast Ballynamona, find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. TikTok, LinkedIn. <laughs> we're, we're You're getting very trendy there. now. You're getting very <laughs> trendy. So, and actually, someone just on on the fact of you know the amount of cleanups that you do, and it, it it saves our councils, and it's the same with all of the the different tidy towns groups all o- over the country. They save all of the local authorities a lot of money. Do you get any grant aiding? Somebody wants to know from the council. Um, there there is no. Um, there is no real grant aid out there for insurance costs uh, and uh. and anything you know the, anything that we get grant aided. So let's say uh, Cork County Council last year with the the strong help from Liam Quaid um, and we heard and Danielle Toomey who be local councillors for us in East Cork, and they were really key in helping us to get four thousand euros um, uh, towards an outdoor classroom. Um, so oh, I remember classroom. that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 The outdoor classroom costs five thousand, so we still need to find a thousand somewhere to 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 do that. So yes, we we, we got four thousand from Cork County Council. We're very grateful for that. Um, but this insurance was, one, you've just got to raise it yourself. You don't have any we, choice. We got to we got to find it somewhere. Okay. And, you know, we do the calendar sales because once we find the insurance, then you know we 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 do have other initiatives. You know, I suppose to try and put money in the coffers where you know fuel needs to be paid for maintenance. Where I'm actually in Cork City today because our Hilux, the the the, the real motor, the the real, uh, I suppose the, the the big chess piece in our arsenal, um, that that's been serviced today, and we know that's 650. Ah, you know, okay. so there was lots of planning. Right. There was lots of planning. <laughs> a lot of fundraising to be done, and a lot of great work that you continue with. Listen, pleasure as always. We'll talk again during the year, Francis. In the meantime, thank you for that. Thank you, and Patricia. Thanks. And thank you to your listeners. Anybody who can give us five or even no amount is, is too small. Please do. Anything at all, we'd, we'd be delighted with it. And thank okay. you again. Bye bye. Good morning bye. to you. That is Francesco Tuma of Clean Coast, Ballinamona. You're listening to Cork Today on replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Let's see if we can get some help or advice for some of our listeners. Risha says, Hi, Patricia. Happy New Year. Many happy returns. Could you please ask your listeners? 
If anyone still collects used stamps, we have so many of them in our Skibbereen charity shop. Uh, many thanks. I don't know. Does anybody? Is that still? It was a hobby I certainly did as a child. I don't know if people still collect used stamps or if anybody has advice for Rita with the charity shop in Skibbereen as to what they can do with the used stamps that they currently have. And then we have a listener, if I can find... Uh, this one uh, says uh, advice please can anybody help me with my dishwasher I'm having a problem every time I wash the cups the cups are not coming out clean uh, using all the various dishwasher tablets I've tried a lot of different types of tablets says Sharon and nothing is working what is causing the cups which are obviously on the top shelf uh, not to be not to and when you uh, what Sharon has said in her text is I can't get the stuff out of the cups are you talking about tea stains on the cups is, is that what it is anybody's advice there please for a dishwasher that obviously at one stage had been working properly and the cups were coming out sparkling clean but of late for some reason uh, they're just not cleaning the inside of the cups properly can anybody offer advice to Sharon what could be going wrong with her dishwasher 0818 103 103 and JC in Crosshaven says Patricia when you're talking about Covid today how lucky are we take a look at what's going on in China and what is happening with Covid there there are truck loads of bodies waiting to be uh, cremated it really is such a sad sad scene oh my goodness what's happening in in China really is absolutely heartbreaking of course they had gone uh, the Chinese government had gone for this zero Covid strategy and you know after nearly three years they realised it wasn't working so they lifted all of the restrictions and now what they're what's happened now of course is they're letting Covid just run riot uh, through the population and they haven't had a huge vaccination programme like we've had in many other countries because they were going for the zero COVID. People felt they didn't need to get the vaccines. They had a tendency in the early days, the Chinese government, they vaccinated workers. They didn't vaccinate the older, the vulnerable people. And now because of that, a lot of elderly people in particular are dying of COVID in uh, China. Uh, funeral homes are reporting a spike in demand for their services. Our listener is right. There's, there is literally bodies stacked up outside uh, crematorium hospitals are packed with patients and uh, the in, in, and some international health experts are saying at least there'll be at least a million deaths in China alone this uh, year and sort of we're kind of looking at them with great sympathy for the Chinese uh, people and of course a number of other countries now are starting to get very strict about travel from uh, China. Uh, I know Japan became the latest country to mandate pre-departure COVID testing for travellers from uh, China. It's already been put in place by Britain, the United States, South Korea, France has it, has it in place as other European countries are insisting that people coming from China that they must have uh, COVID testing in advance and that's not going down well I have to say uh, with the Chinese uh, government. They're very critical of decisions by some countries to impose impose a requirement for COVID testing on their citizens and they're saying it's unreasonable and it lacks a scientific basis. I did see, I think it was Belgium, one country have decided rather than do COVID testing on people because obviously we all have COVID in all of our own uh, in all of our own uh, countries but what they're doing is they're testing the waste water on the airplanes coming in from China and in particular they're going to monitor it to see if there's any new strains of any new variant of COVID coming in because certainly what I was reading about over Christmas in China, it's the Omicron variant that has been 
rampant here certainly in Ireland and across Europe since probably about this time last year and that seems to be the variant that's doing the most damage to the Chinese people at the moment but of course we know that when you get a lot of COVID cases the variants can change it's a, it's a clever virus uh, indeed so that's what they're doing I think it's Belgium I thought that was a pretty smart thing to do just keep an eye and make sure there isn't a new variant coming in that you know could risk the, the people in the country that they are arriving in 0818103103 just um, the, the it was this time yesterday we got the figures from the Irish Nurses and Midwives Organisation it's around now that they release their figures every day and we had that shocking figure of the number of record levels 921 wasn't it patients on trolleys they've released their figures for today it's gone down slightly it's still a lot of people waiting there's 838 patients on a trolley in all of our Irish hospitals today. That would have been a new record if we didn't set the record uh, yesterday. Now, it does mean some of the patients from yesterday got um, beds, and uh, but more will have been replaced with other patients who doctors deem need to be admitted. It's still a shocking, shockingly high uh, figure. And just on a couple of other uh, things that we're getting calls in, and just to say that we are working on them, we've had some calls in from the Clonakilty area this morning People are concerned to hear that some of the asylum seekers that were involved in the row that broke out in Hotel Killarney a couple of days ago are to be moved to other areas of the country. And one of the areas mentioned has been Clonakilty. We're going to be discussing this in more detail tomorrow. We just need to try to do a little bit of research on it and just find out a little bit more about it. But it's the, there's been 20 men now who were involved in what was, has been described as a serious public order incident at the Direct Provision Centre in Killarney on New Year's Day. 20 of them were before the courts uh, yesterday. They were all charged with violent disorder and the Killarney District Court, obviously, they're now waiting on the instructions from the DPP. But in the meantime, seven of the 20 were granted bail, but they were only granted bail on condition that they leave the town of Killarney and they reside in what has been described as Garda-approved addresses. And one of the Garda-approved addresses is Clonakilty. There's one, another was Malik in uh, County Clare. And I know for uh, some of the, for, uh, the, I think they are to house the Algerians and then the Georgians, the four Georgian men who were involved, they are residing in, they're going to be moved to Louth and to Leash. But Clonakilty got mentioned in the court yesterday and that's just put the fear into some uh, people who are worried about people being moved into the area who have been involved and all charged with violent disorder and you know obviously people are nervous about that so we will discuss it uh, in more detail uh, tomorrow and then we were also contacted by somebody who is can you believe still awaiting their COVID pandemic payment, the frontline workers payment, which is coming up to a year now since it was first announced. And a listener contacted us this morning saying, Patricia, would it be possible for either yourself or John Paul to contact the firm in Northern Ireland? who have been assigned by the HSE, can I say, to issue this now long overdue COVID pandemic payment. And could you please get a solid commitment from them as to when, what exact date they expect to pay out the payments to those of us who are still waiting. When you think about it, Irish citizens received the promise €200 electricity credit payment last April and that only got announced probably four months prior. It was the same with the €200 electricity credit promised in the 
budget in October. First payment of that came in before Christmas and the second was received this week with one more to go. Again, the government were able to implement that payment in a very short time span. So why must we be kept waiting any longer? Perhaps it's time for us to down our tools and strike for fairer conditions and the introduction of, above all, much needed respect, which would result in many of the overcrowded hospitals continuing to be overcrowded. Thank you in advance. So what we've done is we have contacted the company which is based in Newry. These were the, the HSE went to when they realised that they they didn't seem to have a problem paying HSE frontline workers, but it was the agency workers and people that worked with the um, Section 39 organisations, the charitable organisations, uh, they had a problem and with private nursing homes, they had a problem working out who was entitled and who wasn't entitled to it, so that's certainly what we heard. So they decided because there was delays after delays after delays that they would pay an outside company to take over the work and to do it. And I know before Christmas we discussed it on the programme and we had contact from, there was one listener actually joined us on air who actually has the letter to say that they are entitled, they worked as a frontline worker during the start of the pandemic so they were exposed to COVID as many frontline workers uh, were. They're entitled to the €1,000 but they were still waiting on the payment. There was a query then that the company were running out of funds they were waiting on the government to pass over the funds or the department to pass on the funds so they could pay pay it out I thought by now even though we did hear we were trying to see would the payments be made before Christmas and we were hopeful that they would be and I do remember in December getting word that it certainly wouldn't be paid before Christmas but they were hoping early in the new year so we're into the new year so we have contacted the company they are a newly based company to see if we can get any uh, clarification on uh, it and uh, while we did speak with the spokesperson expressed to them what the information we're looking for and they have promised us uh, a response but we are waiting on their uh, response uh, today so hang in there for anyone and there's a number I know there are a number of uh, listeners who unfortunately have been left very very disappointed at something that was such a good news story when it was announced and it's leaving a, a bitter taste now I think for a lot of people who are entitled to that money and uh, they have um uh, they're, they're, they're not after getting it. It, it really is uh, shocking. 0818103103. Some of your other texts coming in. Hi, Patricia. The guide dogs for the blind take used stamps. Yeah, I know. Uh, do they? I was. I, I know they did at one stage. I don't know if they still do. I have a funny feeling because I remember I used to collect used stamps for the guide dogs when Marsha, my daughter, was getting long cane training from the guide dogs. I'm sure they stopped doing it because they're literally the cost involved in processing the stamps. I get that checked, but I don't. I don't know if if they are still doing it. But uh, leave it with me, and I'll see if I can if I can get that checked uh, or not. Now, somebody has sent me in a text uh, that they've received purporting to be from on post saying your package has been held with an unpaid fee. Please follow the link to pay for delivery to be rescheduled. And I'm just looking on post slash parcel slash release dot com. No, I would absolutely say that that's a scam and just delete that. That is a complete and utter scam. Just delete it. And Mike in Bantry says, Patricia, the price of coal has gone through the roof. 
are the coal bags getting smaller too? I'm wondering, was it just my imagination? I don't burn coal, uh, Mike, so I don't know, but let's throw it out there because other eagle-eyed listeners will be able to tell us. I mean, I'm assuming the bag of coal weighs the same. Maybe they've cut down on the plastic that it's in or something. Maybe that's why it looks uh, smaller. But has anybody noticed, is the coal, are you getting less coal and yet you're paying more for it? If anybody can help us with that. Hi, Patricia. COVID will never go away. It's here to stay. I love my mask. Never stopped wearing my mask and there are a number of people who are in the same boat uh, as you. Hi Patricia I agree with some of your previous listeners and texters to the programme today mask wearing should be returned maybe if just for the first two months of the year for this the month of January and February which are the main months when flu uh, circulates but it would have to be made mandatory and this listener says in the UK mask wearing is still mandatory in schools I wasn't aware of that thank you for your text and then somebody else is complaining when we were talking about you know the HSC and the IMO saying don't go near your accident and emergency to go elsewhere if you're feeling unwell and they quote things like your community pharmacist but they say you know first port of call should be your GP or your GP out of hours uh, service well Alistair is having, was having problems trying to access her local GP it was about three weeks ago rang at half past two in the afternoon for a very sick child to be told either go to A&E or wait for South Dock to open they certainly are not providing a service many people are very very disappointed with their local uh, GP some of the GPs are just stretched uh, to the limit but I I, well, I can't guarantee but I would be pretty sure if you rang a GP practice today nobody would be telling you to go to A&E and I think this idea of telling people to go to South Dock I think is really unfair because South Dock is an out of hours service for emergencies and it was never designed in the way it's been used at the moment and people are this I, we've heard more and more people are going to are trying to contact South Dock because they either like that listener can't get an appointment for a sick child with their own GP or as we heard earlier from one of our listeners who's come back from America and is back living uh, in the North Cork area can't get access can't get her name down in a GP practice because all the ones in her area are full. So obviously, if she gets sick, she'll have no choice but to go to Southstock at night. 0818-103-103. Jump all taking your calls. The C103 Cork Diary. With Cork County Council, where communities and businesses all across the county can get the support they need at corkcoco.ie. Bingo is on tonight in Charleville Parochial Hall. It's an 8 o'clock start. They've got a jackpot this week of €1,900. Bohabui Tidy Towns are beginning their eight-week Operation Transformation event tonight. Now, the weigh-in will be at 7pm in the community rooms and that will be followed by a five-kilometre walk around the fully lit footpaths of Bohabui. It continues every Wednesday night for eight weeks and it will finish on the 1st of March. The monthly mass in honour of St. Pio is on in St. Joseph's Church in Lismire. That's on tonight at 8. All are welcome. While Blarney and District Historical Society will present Richard Forrest with an illustrated lecture at, entitled Brieflets from Blarney. 
1923. That's happening tomorrow night, Thursday at 8 in Blarney Secondary School. All are uh, welcome. And in a night of music and entertainment has been organised by the Mallow GAA Ladies Committee for this Saturday night at 8 o'clock at the GAA Complex. Admission is €15. Euro. It includes mulled wine and finger food. There'll be a raffle of the night and all proceeds from the night are going to the National Children's Ambulance Service. And it's a special event to honour honor, Nulik Naman. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Promoter, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie. This is the Court Today replay on C103. Before Christmas, I spoke with Cove-based mum, Antoinette Burke, who was travelling to Poland to have her 16-year-old daughter, Katie, who has cerebral palsy, assessed for life-changing surgery. The doctor has agreed to the surgery, but the surgery will have to take place in Florida. And as anybody knows, medical treatment stateside does not come cheap. Annette Burke once again joins me to outline her fundraising campaign to keep her Katie walking. Good afternoon to you, Antoinette. Hi, Patricia, how are you? Um, very well. Happy New Year uh, to you. Same to you. Uh, firstly, fill us in on how Katie is. How did she get over Christmas and how is she doing at the moment? Uh, she's okay. She's still falling, still in pain. Um, she was out the other day with her friend. Literally two hours she was out and came back and literally was in agony for the night then because she was walking. Um, I had to put hot water bottles on her leg. I couldn't even stretch her leg out. It was that sore. So hot water bottles and painkillers and eventually the muscle relaxer relaxed the muscle that I could actually stretch it out for her and get all, her also, some way comfortable. Yeah. Like. But also that she could do what every 16-year-old wants to do, go out and hang out with her she friends for a couple of hours. And yeah. I can't stop her. I can't say to her, no, you can't. Like. Yeah. But she's becoming more and more kind of restricted at home because when she does go out she ends up in so much pain um, she doesn't want to go out anymore yeah, you know you, and you it's don't so want, unfair yeah. on her you don't want that either you don't want her no. going in on herself and just remind listeners it's it's a hip issue that needs to get sorted yeah well what I thought was just a normal hip dislocation is actually a hell of a lot worse than what I thought it was um, her hip socket is retroverted which is it's torn backwards and the ball twisted with the socket and on top of that her femur bone twisted and she has a hairline fracture in her pelvis I meant to ask you the last time you mentioned that hairline fracture do you know how that happened I have no idea it was only when when Dr Paley actually looked at Katie's CT scan that he saw it it's never been seen before. Was it? What do you think it was at one stage when she fell? I could. It could have happened. I don't know. I genuinely don't know when it happened. Um, I, just, I, he picked it up yeah. in December when he looked at her CT scan. Now he did say it's an old fracture. But doesn't it show so, the amount of pain and her tolerance for pain? Oh, she's a severe high tolerance of pain, and I think it's because when she like. She obviously still has cerebral palsy, but before she had SDR, um, like that, the tightness in her legs was so severe that she was so used to it. And then when she had SDR, 
All that was, that was the sur- that was the other surgery that she had to have in the states. Yes, yeah, yeah. Um, but like all that tightness went, so it's like okay, I'm used to that pain. So when it does happen, it's just like yeah, okay. As she says, it's all normal. God help her. God help her. Now the total cost for the surgery and the aftercare uh, is, and we we'll say it very quickly, three hundred thousand uh, euro. Do you need to raise all of that before the surgery can even be considered, Antoinette? Well, I have to pay for the surgery. Okay. And the physiotherapy while she's over there. Um, and obviously to get there. So, like, we're looking at the, the guts of, before we get there, the guts of at least 250,000. And then afterwards, then... It could because it's constant, constant, constant physiotherapy because she has to learn how to walk again. Mm. And there's no point in me bringing her all the way to America and then bringing her back and going, sorry, love, can't help you. <laughs> you know, so I, I need to have the money there to be able to give her the care because she needs physio five days a week. And that'll be for about six weeks, isn't it, you were saying the last time? No, that's over there. Yeah. It's six weeks. But yeah. when we come back... It's constant. Every single day, she needs physio to build her strength back up, to learn how to walk again, and to not deteriorate back to the way she is now. Yeah, you want this to be like a, a, a final operation, let her get on with yeah. her life. That's, that is your plan. Yeah, you know what I mean? If, if the money was magically available today, Antoinette, how soon do you believe Dr. Paley could do the surgery? Um, I don't know, but I'd say within the month. I'd literally, I'd be on the phone to him. If somebody said to me, here, there's 300,000, I'd be on the phone to them there and then and say, right, I have the money booker in. And I'd be gone. Where? Yeah, because the, assess- you know I mean? the assessments because have been done and he says... Everything yeah. has been done. Yeah. All we need is the money for him to operate. And she says he's, he's a, or he believes that she's a good candidate. I mean, he wouldn't yeah. be taking any risks with her, like... No, no, he's yeah. not taking any risks. As he said, he does this every single day of the week. He reconstructs people's bones. He lengthens people's legs. Like I seen it when we were in Poland. There was kids coming in there. And they'd one leg, like, inches shorter than the other. And they were, they were, like, he was looking after them, like, they had wedges on their shoes. And, like, there was a child after coming in, and she was after having the surgery to lengthen her leg. And I was talking to the mother, and the mother was saying, like, the difference in her, where he lengthened the leg, that she can actually literally walk normal instead of with a big huge wedge on her shoe mm. it's just it's phenomenal like what 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 he can do is this type of surgery simply not available in this country internet it is available in this country it is they just won't do it for and, wh- and why have they said that they won't do it well we've been given so many excuses over the years like so one is she's too weak they're saying the, the muscles in her legs are too weak if the muscles in Katie's legs are too weak she wouldn't be able to walk and that's, that's the be-all and end-all of it. Um, they said they'd wait till she stops growing. She's obviously stopped growing. Um, her hips not out far enough. And the final straw was Katie fell there a couple of weeks ago. And we were brought back to the fracture clinic. And it was actually her own paediatrician 
that was there that saw her. And she actually said to me, if I operate on Katie, I'm going to leave her permanently in a wheelchair. And after that, I was just like, no, I'm not I'm not letting them do this to her. And Katie came out, out of the UH in absolute tears. Because, and like she was just saying to me, like, why won't she help me? So that's when I was just like, no, I, I can't leave, leave her like this. And like within two hours of Dr. Paley seeing her, Dr. Paley examining her, he sent her for x-rays. And the x-rays he, he sent her for were actually one standing up. So he could see the pressure that she's putting on her hip. She's never had an x-ray like that here. But within he, those two hours, he and, could tell me exactly what was wrong with her, exactly what he could do for her, and that he'd operate. And did you share any of the concerns that the Irish doctors are saying? I mean, did, did he have any of those concerns? Nope, none whatsoever. I told him exactly what was said, and he just he just kind of went, no, I can, I can fix that. Like, yeah, and he's an I expert. Think yeah. like, like, as he said, to me, he said, this is like drinking a cup of tea. I do it every day of the week. This is his speciality. It's what he does. It'd be like, I don't know, an engineer. That's that's their job. They know how to do it. This is what Dr. Paley does. And this yeah. is his field. A number, a number, and, and I know this killed the last time I do one and indeed whenever I chat with parents who are desperately trying to fundraise to take their children overseas uh, for medical intervention everybody talks about the the, uh, the funds that are available for overseas treatment and the cross-border initiative and all of that that doesn't kick in for you because you're going to the States isn't that the case? Yeah but we can't do the cross-border because Katie's not on a waiting list you have to be on a waiting list to actually do the cross-border treatment. To access those funds. Yeah, she's not on a waiting list because they won't do one for her. But, but, but I'm, sure that the, <laughs> I'm sure that the treatment has to be in a European country. I'm sure it has to be yeah, in a European it's country, an yeah. EU, it's, it's, it's an EU yeah. fund. Um, and obviously there's special dispensation to have it done in, in the UK. But as you say, it's of no use to you because Katie isn't on uh, a waiting list. And without this surgery, Antoinette, what do you believe Katie's future is like? I believe Katie will end up back in a wheelchair. And like Dr. Paley has said it himself, she'll end up with arthritis in her hip. Which at 16 years of age, like if she ends up with arthritis, she's not going to be able to walk. She's going to have to go back in her chair. And I don't want, I'm not taking that freedom from her. Like she knows when she has the surgery in America that she has to go into her chair for six weeks because she can't wait there whatsoever on her leg for the six weeks. Now they do physio with her but she can't, she's not allowed to put her foot to the ground and she knows that and she understands that. But she said it to me herself, after six weeks I'm gone, I'm gone out of that chair man. She absolutely hates her chair because she's been given the freedom to be able to, yes she uses crutches but she can still walk. And that's all. I mean, you you can't you've campaigned before for Katie. You had to fundraise yeah. before when she had to have the first surgery done in the states. Well, she was in a wheelchair before her first surgery. Yeah, but it's it's for Katie. It's all about walking, isn't it? It's all about independence. 
it's not even the, the walking, it's that she can do things herself. That she doesn't have to say to me, Ma'am, can you help me? Like, she's 16 years of age now. I still have to help her in the shower. Yeah. That, like, that's not fair on a 16-year-old, practically adult. And she has to have her up, like, well, she's no dignity because she's because I grim her all the time, like, yeah. But like any normal 16-year-old, there's no way they'd let their mother go into the bathroom. Absolutely like, not. Absolutely and not. Them. Yeah. But she yeah. needs me. And how, and, and she's in school, is she? Oh, she's back tomorrow. Back tomorrow, yeah. And what class is she in? She's in third year, so she's doing her junior she, oh, this she's, year. She's got that on, on, on top of yeah. everything else. All right, yeah. a, a, a fundraising, somebody wants to know, is there any fundraising events been organised? Um, we are in the process of organising fundraising. Um, my son, Sam, is actually... Well done, Sam. Um, so he's trying to talk his colleagues in working into jumping with him. Okay. Um, obviously the mini marathons and stuff coming up. Um, we've other they're kind of in the pipeline that we're trying to set up to get done. Um, if if people want to see what 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 we're doing, if they have a look on our Facebook page, it's Katie's fight to keep walking. Um, I'll be putting everything up there of whatever fundraisers are coming up. Okay, and I know there's links to the GoFundMe page as well. Yes, yes, they're all on that. Okay, will you keep in contact with us, Annette? I will. And pass on our best wishes to uh, Katie. I've said it before. I will, if she ever wakes up. Yeah, leave her alone. (laughs) We all remember that last day in bed with Mam Rowan. Get up, get up. Listen, you look after... No, I haven't even gone in. God, yeah. Listen, you look after yourself, Antoinette. Thank you. Thanks a million. Bye-bye. That is uh, Antoinette Burke from uh, Cove. Hi, Patricia. So sorry for that uh, child. Why will the HSE not simply cover the cost of the surgery? It is so sad. Why do they seem to put so many uh, obstacles in front of people? They spend so much time saying no, trying to get out of treatment, particularly treatments that could be uh, done. It really is so, so uh, sad. 0818103103. John Paul continues to take your calls. And I've just seen John Paul put in uh, something from the Midwest uh, campaign. This is about the hospital in Limerick. This is the UL, the, the UL hospital in Limerick, which is the one that always comes out with the most people on hospital waiting lists, certainly for the last number of years. Whenever we we're talking about the number of people that are waiting on a trolley, you can be guaranteed that UL hospital will be well up there. According to the Midwest campaign, which is a campaign that was set up to improve hospital services in that area, they have just learned that the emergency department waiting room is empty at the moment. There's not an ambulance in sight. The hygiene team worked all night to clean the emergency department. Patients on trolleys, guess what? They've all been reallocated across the hospital. Why is all this happening? Isn't this great news for the University Hospital in Limerick it seems according to the Midwest campaign to improve hospital services it's ahead of a HICWA visit today to the UL hospitals which includes the University Hospital Limerick Court today on C103 with Corrigan Insurance's McCroom now part of McCarthy Insurance Group they don't just talk the talk they walk the walk cmig.ie Sharon is back who had the problem with the dishwasher in what she said this stuff is getting left on the inside of the cups every time she washes them she's changed her tablets etc and I couldn't quite work out what the stuff she was talking about Sharon is back on to say that the stains are 
coming from the tablets. It's like the hard stuff from the, the tablets to me, it sounds like are not dissolving properly. So there's chunks of the tablets left inside in some of the cups every time she uses the dishwasher. And she's tried using different tablets, dishwasher tablets, but it seems to be happening all the time. To me, that sounds like the tablet isn't dissolving uh, properly. Has that happened to anybody else? And if so, uh, solutions, please. Somebody else says, tell Sharon to use a few sprays of rinse aid in the dishwasher with the tablets and that should work. And Christine says, I use vinegar in my washing machine and in my dishwasher and it works perfect. I mean, certainly I haven't used vinegar in my dishwasher. I've used it in my washing machine. If you want to get rid of any kind of smells from clothes or out of the washing machine, a cup of plain white vinegar certainly works or possibly might work in the washing machine, in the dishwasher as well. But I just have a feeling when Sharon got back to us there that it's more to do with the tablet isn't dissolving if she's getting like clumps of the tablets ends up inside in the cup and I'm imagining you have to get some kind of boiling water then uh, which is defeating the purpose of the dishwasher washing all of your wear. 0818 103 103 and I mentioned the um, situation in Clannacilty with which we are going to be discussing tomorrow on the programme with some listeners nervous to hear that at Killarney District Court yesterday when 20 men who were involved in what was described as a serious public order incident at the Direct Provision uh, Centre all were charged with violent disorder. Seven of them have been granted bail, but they were only granted bail on the condition that they would leave Killarney and reside at Garda-approved addresses. And one of those Garda-approved addresses is an address in Clonakilty. Uh, and people in Clonakilty just a bit nervous uh, about it. Margaret says, hi Patricia, uh, these people who were involved in that fracas in Killarney, those 20 men, should be deported immediately. That would be my answer. I know I would be hailed as a cruel person for saying that, but these young men have no appreciation for our handouts and our charitable uh, country, says uh, Margaret. Well, I suppose we've got to wait for the DPP, the Clarion District Court, are waiting on instructions from the DPP. So we don't know the details of what happened or why it happened. But it seemed to be an incident involving a large group of Georgian men and a smaller group of Algerian men. And we don't know why and what sparked off the uh, row, but it was described as uh, all charged with violent uh, disorder. And Anthony says it seems farcical what has happened in Killarney and that these people are being granted bail and then they're being sent countrywide until the case is to be dealt with. So is this going to be the answer to all of the outbreaks of violence that will happen as it will get worse as our doors are open to the world now? Our asylum policy needs a massive policy change, says uh, Anthony. Uh, yeah, and that's what we need to do. We need to, as soon as asylum seekers arrive, we need to speed up the process of who are genuine asylum seekers and who are not. And I can see a number of people are agreeing with Mar- Margaret saying that these these men need to be deported immediately. And I did see earlier on, it was briefing documents that have been drawn up for the Minister for State, Joe O'Brien, at the Department of Integration. And they're showing that there are going to be shortfalls in the short term for accommodation for asylum seekers and that there will be a need to source more accommodation going forward. And the Irish Times are leading with a front page story today saying that the state is facing a shortfall of more than 14,000 beds 
and that's going to be for refugees before the end of March. So it certainly is a situation that's not going away anywhere fast. Ginny reckons the problem uh, with Sharon's dishwasher, it sounds like a temperature problem. She needs to check the temperature that it has been set at in order to dissolve the tablet. Thank you for that. Okay, that's where I leave you for today. Thanks to John Paul McNamara for producing Nick Richards with you for the afternoon. Talk to you tomorrow at 10. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG.ie. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. This Mother's Day, treat mom to healthy, glowing skin with Osea's limited edition skincare sets. Osea has been making clean, seaweed-infused products for nearly 30 years. Their advanced eye care duo brightens and firms skin around your eyes while the Golden Glow Body Trio nourishes and smooths skin all over. Go to oseamalibu.com and use code MOM for 10% off your first order site-wide.